Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. And good morning to New Haven Mayor Tony Harp. Mayor Harp is here in the studio for her regular Mayor Monday checkup. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, You can join the conversation by posting a question on our Facebook Live page. That's New Haven Independence Facebook Live page. You can call us in. It might be like Bob, 203-8727-ELM, 203-8727-356. And today's program is made possible in part thanks to support from Bertram Moses, BC, and Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. Thanks, Gateway. Thanks, Bertram. And thanks, Mayor Hart, for coming on in. It's a pleasure to be here, Paul. Morning. I I saw you had your crystal ball out again last week. You know, we were predicting about snow and stuff. Right. Well, this time, um, you know, it was months in advance. You invited all these mayors from around the country to come to New Haven, right, for the Omni. Yeah. And you said, well, let's make it. You're the president of the African-American Mayors Association. This is actually a big deal. I was surprised there wasn't more attention paid to it. You're at the Omni, and you had an annual retreat. But you said, this year, we're going to make we're going to make the first two days about a women's leadership retreat. Right. Now, I don't know if you knew a few months ago that this whole me too movement was going to explode suddenly opening an opportunity at least we'll see if it's met for new women leadership everywhere from politics to media to private business and then the day the night before you started this conference we had a nationally watched upset election in alabama in a senate race in which a man accused of decades of sexual harassment and uh, predation lost even though he was a republican in a state that hadn't elected a democrat for 25 years to doug jones any thoughts about first of all what did you know and when did you know it and (laughs) and how did this affect the gathering you had well you know one of the things that we as the african-american mayors association have is a women's committee and as the first pres women president of the organization i felt that we should do something special with that commi- committee to help women mayors and uh, and to sort of just deal with the whole issue of women leadership and so uh, so so we decided to do that a long time ago and actually the we were going to have the meeting in October and it just didn't work out for a lot of people because like me they were um, undergoing races, and so they wanted to wait until later. That is a weird time for mayors to have a conference. <laughs> it is. When they're it the last out. month before an election. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we figured that one out a little late. But anyhow. <laughs> um, and so we moved it into December. So all of this was really basically uh, coincidental. And the truth is, not completely coincidental. You are, are you the first woman who's been the president of that association? Yes. Uh-huh. You're the first woman mayor in New Haven. And since Donald Trump's election, there's been a call for more women to run for office. We had the big women's march on inaugu- right, right after the inauguration. And then um, there's been these new groups. I understand you're involved with them, one of which is called Emerge, right. trying to recruit female candidates from that pool of people who were inspired to march and say, what do I do now? They're having a press conference. I don't know if you're going up to it today in Hartford in, in, after this show with Nancy Wyman, where they could announce some of the women running. This thing. No, I won't be there. But. So, I mean, it's not completely consensual, but your timing was amazing. So, what was what happened at this conference? Did, did this? Did we just make it up and we wrote about it that people were talking about this, or was this really? Oh no, there were there minds? was uh, there was a lot of talking uh, about it. There was a former, and I and I, I remember her first name, cannot pronounce her last name, uh, 
person who worked for the Hillary Clinton campaign, and she first brought it up that um, in uh, Alabama, Jones would not have won if there had not been the kind of um, um, turnout for African-American women who turned out, those who voted, voted 98%. Wow. For, you yeah. know this that got me, Tony? <laughs> yeah. 70, 67% or more of the white women voted for Roy Moore, the Republican who was barred from a mall while he was a prosecutor in charge of locking up creeps. <laughs> he was barred from the mall because he was preying on 14-year-old girls. Well, you know, the but, but for white co- college-educated women, a large percentage of them. So is that what the coalition is, black women and white college? So for your white, you have to go to college. If you're black, it doesn't matter. You got consciousness. Is that kind of the idea? I, I don't know. I wouldn't quite say it that way. But there's but something they, weird but, going on with that. But demographically, if you look at, if, if when you look at the numbers, typically white um, college-educated women t- tend to be more progressive than those who are not. And, and, and those two groups you mentioned are key. I mean, when you look at the Hillary Clinton campaign, isn't it true that black women overwhelmingly voted for Hillary, although the black right. turnout was not as large as people had hoped, whereas white women were not so much in Hillary's car. Again, it was that split you think with educated It was. It was white educated women voted for Hillary. So what was the option? What was your conference like? Was it fun? Did you have It was a lot of fun. It was inspirational. And uh, one of the things that we talked about, which is a was learned in Virginia and in Alabama um, that the Democratic Party has written off those states and it really can't do that anymore. And they've written off blacks and they've written off women in wow. those states uh, because there's a certain uh, skill to turning out that vote. And uh, and it takes resources. You, you, we know it well here in New Haven. And, um, and they just haven't been putting those resources in so hopefully into the sororities i'm not making that up isn't that like a really good oh yeah that's a good source and uh, during the clinton campaign there was some meeting about that yeah yeah and so i think that that the 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 long of the short of it is that you've got to understand it's a a powerful voting block that can turn some of those states to purple if not all the way blue you know this is not a new debate Rahm Emanuel, when he was the head of the Congressional Committee, you know, recruiting candidates in the Democratic Party, he wanted to concentrate on the strongholds, the blue states. Right. And maybe some purple. Barack uh, Howard Dean wanted a 50-state strategy. He wanted to fly to Alaska and all that. Right. And then Barack Obama ran on that 50-state strategy. An African-American candidate who actually put some Democratic states back in the, I mean, some Southern states back in the Democratic column. So it's kind of an ongoing debate, and maybe to be fair, the other side, since you and I don't agree with it, maybe we've got to bend over backwards to try to see their logic. It's not that they're necessarily badly um, motivated. They say we have limited money, let's concentrate it where yeah. we're strongest. But I think you're onto something, which is that if you just see the world stuck a certain way it is, the Republicans run two-thirds of the state legislatures, or three-quarters, I think. They have gerrymandered the districts so that they can lose popular votes in all the states when you add up the Congress people, but they still have most of the Congress people. You got it. Something's got to break business as usual. And especially, you know, it's probably harder to do it um, within a state, but it's on those big statewide elections. It matters. It really matters. Any, uh, Tony, any moments that stick out in your mind from this conference? You said it was inspirational. You said a lot of good work got done. What was the moment that sticks out? Well, there was, there's a young um, uh, minister here in town at Community Baptist church and there were two moments and it was our closing luncheon um it was this young man 
um, and you know I should his name is is, is uh, Felipe Andal and uh, he gave a very inspirational speech about what happens when everything around you when your major leaders are in a very different place than you are and he sort of he quoted the Bible and he said you just keep working you keep working harder it was so inspirational it's sort of like you can't let that stuff get you down you just got to keep moving forward and um, and then um, 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 Alan Lazowski also spoke, and he spoke about his exper- the experience of his father, um, and he told the love story of his father and his his uh, and his his mother, um, and the uh, getting out of um, uh, the concentration camps and how people who didn't know each other helped each other and that it sort of turned full circle. That was inspirational as well. Who was Alan Lazowski? He owns Laz. Laz Parking. He oh, owns- okay, okay, okay. <laughs> a successful guy. Yeah, so and you know, he had a real interesting, well, well, we had different people from business who come and talk to us about different things. Yeah, we, so we, we. You're promoting leadership in a broader way. We are, and um, the other thing we had actually people who were in the media come and talk about how to work with the media oh, really? and all oh, of that. Right. So you had, didn't you have um, Mary Corsi, uh, her, her husband, and then we had um, um, uh, Maribel uh, Deleuze. I, I, yeah, uh, also came and um, and and spoke um, because a lot of people you assume mayors know everything about how to work with with media and uh, how to sort of use social media and, and in fact we don't or so. have like weekly radio shows where yeah. you tell people talk, like <laughs> mayor monday which you're listening to on wnhh your home yeah. for community radio 103.5 fm that's one of them that's right live streamed <laughs> at newhavenindependent.org i guess what i've been thinking for the last week when i look at this situation is normally people on the liberal side and maybe not completely but someone on your more female politicians have more cooperative style of governing win people over to ideas and when you look at the me too movement and how it's played out Whenever someone on the Fox News Republican Party side has to leave a job, they get their butt kicked. They don't go peacefully. Mm-hmm. And they, Donald Trump is not going. Roy Moore did not drop out of a race. But Al Franken stepped down right away. Mm-hmm. Accusation doing bad behavior, which is always near the other. And it made me wonder whether the that side that has been sort of having an anti-woman agenda in a lot of ways yeah. only understands only winning and losing. And whether what it might take on the other side is there is no excuse for women running. Like, yes, you do have to make your arguments and try to convince people not to be jerks, not to prey on people, not to be for bad things. But in the end, maybe you have to win. You have to run and win. And that if more women don't run and if more women don't win, it's not going to change because all that's going to happen is kind of the Bill Clinton, Al Franken types who are for your agenda but still skunks in private are going to leave the stage and the Donald Trumps and the Roy Moores and the others will stay on the stage. Like, I just wonder if there's any alternative to women following through on this promise and challenge of entering the electoral arena in a big way. Well, you know, one of the things that women have to to do, um, and minorities have to do too, is to really understand the power that they have. Um, and, And you can use it in multiple ways. You can run, but you can also influence who you've elected and oftentimes we like just... Doug Jones. Yeah, exactly. And so the real question becomes, well, what does his staff look like? Mm. Um, what, um, 
and 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 what kind of ideas do they represent because one of the things that you know uh, that i know about people at very high positions uh, you delegate a lot of that to the people who are around you and help you get things done and so they're just as important as the person who is elected well, I was going to have a um, follow-up question for you, but Bob is on the line because there's an obvious question that comes out of this. And I think Bob's going to ask it because Bob <laughs> usually asks you about the thing that's in the Sunday paper. <laughs> Bob, you're on with Tony Harp on WNHH's uh, Mayor Monday. That was very quick, Paul. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> okay, how are you? Going to uh, try to accept your call Hello, by Mayor? touching the screen and Harry's about to banish me from the studio. <laughs> how are you, Mayor? Good. How are you, Bob? Uh, much better, thank you. Good, you sound um, better. I have, a, I actually have a Christmas question for you. You're not going to ask the obvious question, okay? <laughs> the <laughs> obvious one. Actually, uh, my question concerns the city, and if you were going to ask Santa Claus, <laughs> what would you ask for the city of New Haven? Oh, that's a good question. Well, if I could ask for anything at all, I would ask that the state stand by the initial commitment that it gave to fund the pilot at 77. That's Payments what I in lieu of taxes, 77% reimbursement for the value of tax revenue that we cannot collect because of state decreed tax except uh, not for profit and state owned property. Absolutely. That's exactly so what it is. So I give the long version. <laughs> <laughs> I know Santa doesn't always listen to that whole thing. <laughs> hey, Tom, hey, hey, Bob, did you happen to notice that um, Mrs. Claus was in town yesterday? I've seen Mrs. Claus and Mr. Claus all around town. Mr. Claus and Mrs. Claus were at Floyd Little Athletic Center, which is at Hill House High School. Uh, yesterday, part Yep, of they gave out 1,500 gifts. This whole winter wonderland, I guess it's the Public Works Department, does this big party because Hannah Smith, who works there when she was a kid, never forgot how some minister gave her a bike and said, mm -hmm. now when you grow up, you do something like that. So she's giving out 1,500 bikes and toys and everything. And they do a big party there at DJ and did you happen to see who Mr. and Mrs. Claus were? Um, yeah, I did have another question. Well, wait a second. Mr. And, and, um, wait, 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 before <laughs> your question. Story this John, wait, wait a second. John, media t Bob, hold on a second. Bob, this great Bob. Okay, mate. I'm going to have to turn your mic down for a second. So John Alston Jr., the fire chief, was dressed up as Santa Claus, and Tony Harp, the mayor, was giving out twice as Mr. Claus. So, Mr. Claus, so if you do have a request... For St. Nick, it sounds like you can whisper in his ear before the night goes out. <laughs> okay, Bob, you're back on. What's up? No, I just wanted to say the uh, story I read in Hearst Media this week. Yeah, in the Kegel Post. That's what I thought you were calling Very about. Very interesting yeah. story. You're still being uh, asked about being a potential running mate. Yeah, for governor. Now, the story was that we've brought this up about five weeks in a row. So I'm wondering, Tony, if maybe I should answer before you do what you've said the last five times, and then say if you think Why it's still true. Why don't we do that? Okay. So, Bob, the question <laughs> is, two of the people running for governor, at least, and probably everyone else, wants Tony Harp to be their lieutenant governor candidate. And uh, that was Joe Gatta, mayor of Bridgeport, Luke Bronin, mayor of Hartford, and um, the, the Connecticut Post wrote, you know, boy, they'd love to have Tony. And Joe Gatta, I thought, had a really good quote, which is that, basically, thank God she's not running, if that's still accurate, because she'd be pretty formidable compared to him. Um... And so I, here's what happens, what you usually say. I'm going to channel Tony Harp here and see if Tony Harp says this is still accurate. Well, the first thing I'd want to say is, why are they talking about me as the running mate? Why aren't they talking about those guys as my potential running mate? But <laughs> that aside, if it's still true, I'm not sure. And I'm not putting these words in your mouth. I thought you were saying you're not running for governor, but I'm not sure if that's true. You, you'll have to correct I, me. I, at this point in time, I'm not running for governor. So the other point is, 
Um, boy, it sure does sound nice. To, it's, it, it's an exciting thought doing work for the people of the state of Connecticut. Right now, I'm focused on my next term as mayor, which begins in January, serving people in New Haven. Now, how did I do? Do I get you the did part? Great. You did You were perfect. Right. You, you got the point. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, you're not going to get a total answer, but we're focused on the next year ahead, and we, we're not, we're not uh, going to all the town committees in 169 Tower right now asking for a governor nomination. <laughs> right. Although I did like when you said, why aren't they talking about them as my running mate right i enjoyed that that was that was a fun one so if you do go on the statewide trail keep some of those quips uh bob did you have anything else for may harp um well i had one last thing and i don't know if it's ever been brought up on your show but mayor i think the best story in new haven this year was the story about a, a friend of yours roberta hosky uh and elmer the man who found her ten thousand dollar check oh that's a um, good story yeah that was really a good story i I think it really brought New Haven to the limelight that there are still some good people in the world and here in New Haven. Absolutely. One of those good people is Bob, who calls us up every week on Mayor Monday. Bob, thanks for all the great calls this year. All right, Mayor, you have a um, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. And Bob, you're still batting 1,000 on these questions. Thanks for calling. And you're listening to Mayor Monday at 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. If you'd like to add a question, just post it to the New Haven Independent. Facebook Live page, which is what what uh, Tom did. Um, so Tom has a few questions. Did the city clear the homeless encampment by the Ralph Walker skating rink before the first snowfalls of season, as was the plan? And how is the city ramping up homeless services for the winter? Good question. Well, we are trying to ramp up homeless services, um, and our our goal had been to to get everything worked out before the first snow, and unfortunately, we we were not able to do that. It was supposed to snow again today, and so oh, yeah. um, I I believe so. I I think that we will, um, but we'll see within the next week or two that the encampment will be removed, and we'll we're hoping that people will go into shelters. And then um, another question this is a good one. What charitable causes will you be donating to this holiday season? For listeners, I'd recommend. Don't forget about Puerto Rico. Sure, I think that that's really, really important uh, that we support Puerto Rico as much as we can. I only fifty percent of their electric grid is operating, wow. and if you can imagine what that must be like for is all these weeks. They said there were only like sixty-seven official deaths when the New York Times found about a thousand. Yeah, that was yeah. pretty amazing. They don't even tell the truth about how many people are dying. I know it's really awful. I mean, the the great thing is there are uh, over six hundred young people in our schools. No, six hundred. Uh, people Total. who came to New Haven and about 200 in our school system. Yeah, I noticed those numbers last week because in line with this question from Tom, you and some folks um, greeted the Amazon sleigh. Right. Which is really a truck. Which is a big truck. A big truck, yeah. <laughs> a know. real big truck. A little bit, uh, a little, little fossil fuel alternative to the sleigh. <laughs> Although I wonder if they use fossil fluids with the reindeer. Anyway, that gets to a whole different question. They came, showed up at Hunter for Progressive Action last week on okay. Grand Avenue and they were specifically bringing gifts for evacuees from Hurricane Maria. And that's when we got these latest numbers because these numbers keep growing. They do. 600 people, 157 kids in the school since September 18th. I have a feeling they're going to continue growing. And uh, I think, um, I guess, in answer to Tom's question, you give money, I guess, through Junta or you have a citywide task force that's helping those people get right. assimilated. Uh, Puerto Ricans United is, I think it has two funds going, one for those who are here and one for those uh, who um, are struggling in Puerto Rico. So on Saturday was another one of those days, Mayor Harp, when we get to believe we live in this alternative universe where everything is sort of unicorns and work <laughs> out so happily. 
We got, we are turning, we are getting guns that are operable. People are turning them in. And we got this great, um, this great uh, um, sculptor in town, Gar Waterman. He really does fantastic, fantastic really? stuff. He's all over the world. He's in Westville. He's working with the police department. And they're going to break down these guns. And they, you know about this because you put yeah. out the press release. And then they're working, but I'm telling our listeners, they're working with a group called Raw Tools. And I think mm-hmm. we're going to be the first ones. We're going to break down these guns and turn them into gardening tools. I mean, really turning swords into plowshares, only the right. swords are guns. And then they're going to put them back in uh, vocational education programs like at Southern and, and have people working, um, working with these tools. So given that idea, we did our annual gun buyback where we give people gift cards that they bring in their guns. And we got 138 this year. That's the most we've ever gotten. Right. 103 was the previous record. And, I, you know, it was interesting to me how excited some of the police people involved this were because they were sort of doing the kumbaya thing, you know. <laughs> we're really doing stories into plowshares. I can't believe it. And people yeah. are turning them in. And he thought, and, and the New York Times wrote an editorial about it on Saturday, which I thought was cool about New Haven doing this. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's sort of what we want here. We want other communities to find out about it because it's not hard to do. Right. There are gar watermen's or gar watermen in other communities, and there is this group, that, Raw Tools is not a local group, I don't know if it's Wisconsin or where, who are, who are willing to work with people everywhere. So I'm hoping people read that in the Times and are going to do it in their city too. Well, I hope so too. And uh, what's so exciting is that we have all of these community gardens and that you can go from a gun that may terrorize a certain community to having plowshares and gardening that feeds a community. Uh, how, how beautiful is that? Yeah, now sometimes these gun buybacks, they're never considered bad. There's nothing wrong with a gun buyback. No, no, Some no. people are skeptical of them. They don't believe it gets the real weapons off the street, that it's people they think it's just old weapons that people don't need anymore while they're using others, or it's protecting the deer. There were some people quoted in Register article by Randy Beach who said, in fact, we did have these around, and we thought, why do we need all these guns? Let's bring them in when they read this. And, you know, sometimes the guns that are in people's homes are the ones that are stolen or resold out on the street. Right. Or a lot of times people who have guns for self-protection often end up shooting accidentally or for mistaken reasons. And a lot of our deaths take place because of that. So I can't see a reason to be against the gun buyback, but that's sort of the two sides people offer when they, when they have the skepticism. Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember being in third grade and there is, and I think I've told this story before, a a young kid named Myron Hansen, who was a a friend, you know, third grade friend. And he uh, played with his, his grandfather's rifle and was killed. Oh, I don't remember and, this story. And, you know, uh, that I've lived with that for all of these decades. Is it a friend of yours? Yes. Ooh. And, you know, just picture being in third grade and learning that, you know, one of your playmates was just killed because they were playing around with a gun. Well, I'd rather they got a uh, guarding tool. Uh, I think we all would. Edward Trimble writes in on Facebook, good morning, Paul. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Ed Trimble. Nice to, nice to see your name up there and your avatar. So, uh, Tell me about Frontier. So, you know, sometimes there are these big companies in town that have stuff going on that you, you only have to, you read it only on the business pages, but they actually have real impact here. Frontier used to be SBC, used to be AT&T, SNET, SNET, mm-hmm. and they, they're not as big as they used to be. They're not the dominant um, employer that they used to be because the whole telecom community uh, industry has changed. But they bought the company a couple of years ago, I think it was about two and a half years ago, with a lot of high hopes for what they're going to do for New Haven. And not only have they kind of faded from the scene, but the business pages say they're in dire, dire economic trouble. Um, what does that mean for us, if anything? Well, I think that, you know, the only thing that we, we have to worry about is that they'll be acquired by someone who doesn't have a real sense of 
being in the community. Um, I when I talk to their their leaders, they they seem committed to being here and committed to staying in business. So uh, we can only wish them the best. Now you were they were competing a couple of years ago for a project you were spearheading for the state about getting cities and towns to do some kind of big high speed broadband network. This is so beyond my pay grade. I really don't understand how a lot of this stuff works, but whatever happened with that? Well, we're still working on it and um, it hasn't happened statewide. You know, like we're hoping that maybe what we can do ultimately is go neighborhood by neighborhood because it's expensive to do. And then what about with the, how does net neutrality fix in all this though? That's going to get us faster internet, but then who's going to be able to afford this internet and what are you going to get? Last week, the federal communications commission voted that uh, they're going to allow get rid of net neutrality. They're going to allow the uh, companies to charge you more to get certain kinds of content or put other content in a faster lane. They, a lot of people are scared it's going to kill innovation in the golden age of the internet. But there's also the larger issue that uh, the big reversal from the Obama administration is we're no longer seeing the internet as utility. There was this idea in the Obama administration that this is people really need this rural people, low income people to compete equally in the economy not just about allowing entrepreneurs, another big issue for New Haven, you know, entrepreneurs to be able to enter the marketplace on an equal footing and have the next great ideas and job creation. Well, you know, one coming. of the reasons we wanted to, to actually do um, the broadband expansion to the home and to every building in our city is actually for business. One of the things that we learned, when you look at a place like Chattanooga, Tennessee, that has this, what our businesses are paying thousands of dollars for in terms of speed, they're paying hundreds of dollars for in Chattanooga, Tennessee, because it is a um, seen as a utility, and 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 I think they they started out at one gig, they're up to three gigs now, and um, and as a result, they've done more job creation and they've done and attracted more businesses to that area, and so if we really want to attract those kind of businesses, and we do, then we've got to find a way to make that um, cost less. And it is really a, a utility. When you think about even the tests that we give to kids in school now are done on the Internet. So kids have got to be proficient with using those, the Internet, that tool. And, um, and we've got to do everything we can to put it in the hands of everybody because we're a very poor city. I mean, it doesn't seem like it because... You know, we have um, Yale University, we have Yale New Haven Hospital, we have uh, Alexion is still here, at least for the time being, and, and other businesses that are here that bring people in. But when you look at our, um, when you look at the amount that people earn, families earn per year in New Haven, we, we are the lowest in the region. And so you can't come up with something that people are going to need for their education, they're going to need to get a job that makes it inaccessible to them because of price. So I'm very concerned about that. We might be lowest in income, but we're highest in soul. <laughs> yeah, <heart>. we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got something. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is, it, that is um, valuable currency, which we're talking about here on Mayor Monday, WNHH-FM, your home for community radio, 103.5, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Last week, there was a meeting of the State Board of Education. And they're dealing with a real problem in urban schools, which is expulsion being high and a gap in cities and suburbs. And uh, Kermit, uh, Kermit Carolina, your mm-hmm. person who works with youth at the board, went up and made a presentation. And he brought some interesting numbers. And I, I saw these uh, published in the Connecticut Post. 
Hartford has 65, had 65 expulsions from school in 2016. Bridgeport has 76. Okay, 65, 76. New Haven at 17. It's kind of like the differences in our murder rate. I wonder yep. if there's a relationship. I think there is. And, I, and, I, and it's one of the things um, that we often don't think about. But uh, I think the fact that kids are in school, that we find things to interest them that keep them in school, uh, to interest them about school that keep them in school. Um, well, what are we doing to keep that number lower? Are we just like babysitting them? Are we doing youth stat where we come up ways for them to? We're doing youth stat. Make, I mean, restorative justice where if they screw up, we don't send them home. We we figure out a way for them to make it up to the teacher. We're doing restorative justice. We're doing youth stat. Um, one of the things that we have in one of our high schools is um, a, an ability to go to um, technical school after after high school, but you've got to go to. You've got to go to school in order to go to that technical. You mean the afternoon program? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of over like Eli the Whitney. Arts. Yeah, 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 for the kids. Yeah, you And that. so, um, so we are working in every way that we can to individualize education to make it really difficult to solve the problem that a behavior problem that a young person might have by just uh, telling them they've got to get out and leave. That's the easy way. It's tough on cities though, mm-hmm. and so we. Um, we have integrated wellness that comes in if a person has an emotional issue. We have the Alive program as well that works with them on trauma and other kinds of things. So that we are really working with young people on all of the ancillary problems that might impact their behavior and might make them a candidate for expulsion. And we're doing those first. And so... Um, it's really hard to expel someone in New Haven. That's and what I thank meant you about to Kermit Carolina. That's what I meant about heart and soul. Uh, tonight is the Board of Ed meeting last one of the year, I guess. And are, are we going to have the contract signed with our new superintendent? It's my hope. So you have terms settled to present tonight? Uh, there are terms that are going to be presented, but, you know, we're not of, always of one mind, I understand. so. <laughs> uh, but your, we have enough votes, we think. It's your last, <laughs> it's your last meeting with um, this kind of split board. It's really going to change after the new year. Uh, at some point, yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point. Well, at the beginning of the year, the two people's terms are expired. Do they sit in meetings in January or are they gone? Well, one of them can, can sit uh, until I appoint someone else. The charter allows um, a person to continue uh, their tenure until they're replaced. Okay, so one of their placements has been approved. They're not Jim Elcato. Uh, oh, no, he's already on. He's already on. Uh, no, no, neither have been. Um, so the first meeting will continue to have this. So we're waiting three. for the board of alders yeah, to make their approval of one. And then I've, I still have to actually, appoint. there is, there are two more board. No, it has it gotten a first reading yet. These people at the, at the board. Um, I'm not, I'm there not, are two more meetings. There's a meeting tonight and there's a meeting the first week, the first, I think they're 2nd. waiting to go before one of the committees. So oh, I don't they know. are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Phil yeah, Brown sure. says, hello, mayor. Hello, hey, Phil Brown Phil. and Babs Alexander. Awesome. Exclamation point. You got some, uh, Good vibes coming out there oh, today. Good. Tell Babs. I said hi. Hi, Babs. <laughs> and you know, you've talked about this in the past, Mayor Harp. The guidance shortage was kind of up in the news again last week because student yeah. council members were talking to the board and said that, you know, now it's 600 counselors to one student on average and that in East Sums there was only one counselor for the whole school. Any thoughts? And I know we have this incredible financial crush, millions of dollars that we thought we had we're not going to get from the state. Is there really a way to address the guidance counselor shortage? Well, I think that there's a commitment, at least from the interim superintendent, to to try to begin to make a difference in that uh, direction. 
So uh, I'm hoping that that we'll see something in their budget proposal that will address at least get us started to addressing that. We can't totally fix it, but you know we can we can make progress. Then uh, there were three different kind of votes and meetings last week about different neighborhood projects for develop for development, and I f- I, saw, I felt a common thread in them. Markeisha Ricks was every night we talk about it. She was covering them. It all seemed the same issue, which is who speaks for a neighborhood. I don't think it's such an easy answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of how democracy works. It's not 100% of people show up for every issue. The people who show up and are heard the most are the people who have inordinate influence. That right. doesn't necessarily represent the view of everyone else. But on the other hand, there's some value to people showing up and having their voices heard because they care and they have a stake. So that at what point, if like 10% of America shows up for democracy. Maybe that is democracy if everyone has the same opportunity to participate, if it's not limited. And I'll, let's, I wanted to walk one by one and, and see if we think democracy worked in those cases. One was the Munson Street development. So we have a, a vacant factory, long vacant factory there on Munson Street in Science Park. A California developer wants to build 385 apartments in there. And they kind of did it right. They went and met with neighbor groups for many months. They went to management team meetings, which is, again, it's not the whole neighborhood. It's the people who show up to talk to their cops and city officials. But it really is a democratic opportunity. Anyone can go, and they are grassroots people, and mm-hmm. they've had impact on developments. And it's the alders he met with, and I think the developer met with uh, some block watches even. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And he changed his project somewhat and made guarantees for some affordable housing, hiring local people. So after that whole process, this plan was going ahead for a zone change it needed. It didn't need any public subsidies. It needed a zone change. And at the 11th hour, another group of neighbors, they don't happen to live right on that block. They live, that's what is a neighborhood. They live on the other side of Science Park in Nohoville. I would argue that sort of is the neighborhood. It's not the same neighborhood as right across the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted to slow down the process and have a planned development district, mean create a whole new zoning process with more details about what they're allowed to do and not do with the argument that if they don't do the project, we don't want someone else to do stuff we don't like. And... Uh, which I'm not sure you're allowed to make a decision based on that when you're looking at a single zone change. I'm not sure. But in any case, it was the 11th hour. They had two and a half hour hearing at the Board of Alders for committee. But they went ahead and approved the zone changes. Look, as I can get changed. It's going to be approved at the full Board of Alders. Everyone was heard, mm-hmm. including you. You said on the radio, look, you can't change the, you can't be Lucy pulling away the football every time last minute and pulling the goal line back. How do you feel about this result? Do we, because it was a result you liked, do you feel democracy worked? Or do you think there's another reason democracy works? These are interesting questions to me. Well, I I don't really... Well, I think that there is an interesting new policy thread among people in New Haven, and that's the whole question of affordable housing. And that is something that, you know, people are just beginning to to talk about. And so, so I, I, I think it's important that this other group got heard. But I also know that um, this particular developer has been trying to go through what they understood our process to be for over a year. And so I think that because they went through every step that we identified that we thought was important, and they talked to all the people that we thought they needed to talk to, um, I think that it's fair that it got passed because they did make those changes that were and it was recommended. Demo- and it was democratically supported in the sense that the alders wanted it, the community management right. teams wanted it. So it was a interesting vetting process. I kind of like how we do it in New Haven when it ends up with the result. Um, right. I, did he say 10% affordable housing? Was that right? 
I think so. I think it'll be about 10%. But that's what's interesting to me, too, because one idea your administration has pushed is that when people are building these market rate housing developments, and they really don't have to put any affordable housing in if they have as of right zoning, you work with them with the city, you help them find money if they need it, as in the case in the Hill Project that Randy Salvador is doing, and you try to include <clears throat> 10 20%, sometimes 30 in the Hill mm-hmm. Affordable housing within market rate housing. Your development administrator, Mark Matthew Nemson, was talking about how in other cities that's also emerging as somewhat of a strategy where sometimes it's not government. Sometimes the developer makes really expensive housing and has the extra margin help support some of the affordable housing. And you, know, you look at that block at Munson, which is such an interesting block because right across the street, Juan Salzheimer did more like workforce housing. People mm-hmm. who aren't in public housing and people who aren't going to be getting $3,000 a month uh, apartments a block away at uh, the Science Park project there. And then another block away, you have um, Monterey Place, which is a very successful public housing development under the new style of Hope 6. And then finally, you have a, a vacant lot across the street where your administration is pushing a new public housing senior tower. Right. So, so when you talk about affordable housing, it seems like that's sort of how we're trying to create it while also getting market rate housing that gets other kinds of people in the city, too, that gets ta- jobs, gets taxes, you know, we are, we do want to build up our tax base. Oh, absolutely. And the other thing that we've learned is that you can't have, um, you know, you need mixed income, that it's really good for a city to have that. And why is that? Well, I think that it's, you know, it's really around um, people getting to know people who are different than they are and uh, how that creates a healthier community because you learn not to fear certain types of people. You learn to respect other people and you learn that you can work together on issues having to do with the community and people were working together on El Agresa Boulevard to try to stop a vacant old sort of mansion that had been law office of late attorney William Gallagher and they, they weren't happy with how they work in Wells Fargo which had taken over that property they weren't easy to deal with people wanted to buy it and fix it up and they saw that some guy from New York who wanted to put a lot of apartments in there it wasn't quite the micro apartments that you've spoken out against they weren't 300 square feet mm-hmm. but he wanted to put I think it was um Originally, I forget how many it was, but then he brought it down to like nine and then five. Some of them be 900 square feet, some 1,800. The neighborhood said against, said against it. They said, uh, we, we think it's too crowded for our neighborhood. Other people say, you know, who are competent and don't live in the neighborhood, they say, well, that's the very immediate neighborhood and they, it matters what they think. But what's wrong with having five apartments in a huge mansion in a place that does have some density? What's wrong with a little more density that does get a, a nice old house back on the tax rolls and diversify who lives in a neighborhood? Did you have any thoughts on that one? Well, you know, I, I, I know it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And wouldn't it be nice if somebody could afford to buy it and pay the taxes? And this guy's got pockets. The guy's a developer from New York. Yeah, he does. But he wants to, um, to make it into... Um, to make it into a uh, an apartment building, you know, I've seen, and this is maybe taking it in a whole nother place, but I've seen some of those beautiful mansions made into condominiums, um, especially in Worcester Square, and uh, oh, yeah, and true. I wonder yeah. whether or not the neighborhood would have been as oppositional to ownership there. And in the end, it only became it didn't become nine or ten; it became a fight between five and four because he had as mm-hmm. of right to get four. Mm-hmm. In the end, he said, well, I'll just build five. I need special permission. I wonder if that had to do with financing. He said his financing deal was about to expire, and I wonder if he needed to cram one more in to get he probably, enough revenue stream. Probably did. So did democracy work there? God, it looks um, like it's going to die with that. You know, I, 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 honestly, the neighbors fought hard. 
And then there was a third democracy fight, which was also really interesting. <laughs> I'm an upper whaley. There was an old CVS that was the old Crown Supermarket by uh, right. by uh, Dayton Street there, Upper Westville. And in that immediate neighborhood, or people was a lot of people kind of low income. And CVS moved out. They went across the street to a new place, which is pretty nice. You guys leaned on them to make it kind of nicer. Yeah. And, and they, I think it worked. And this whole new welcome to Westville mm-hmm. answers there. But that old building is kind of a pit. And, uh, and it's got a big moonscape chopped up lot. I remember when it was a supermarket. Right, the Crown Supermarket, the Coastal <laughs> yeah. Supermarket. And the reason you might remember is every politician went there on Sunday yeah. <laughs> when you were running for office statewide. <laughs> I used to live a block away. I used to love getting the bagels on Sunday morning. And the little old ladies were pushing you out of the way. The numbers were called. It was kind of fun. Um, but in any case, uh, the, uh, the, the neighborhood again, who was the neighborhood? So the, they went to the management team. And the management team wasn't the original, it wasn't the immediate neighborhood, which was lower income. It was more middle class, about six blocks away, which is also mm-hmm. the neighborhood. Their view of, and the, they, the owner wants to put a dollar store in, which you can as of right. You can't tell this guy not to put a dollar store in. Right. And the neighborhood was very upset. They said, we want a Starbucks. You can't really just tell Starbucks, well, so come on in Starbucks. <laughs> and it's a very big lot. There wasn't going to be a Starbucks. They yeah. All these are something. And they, they were pretty adamant. It was a 100% message from the people who show up at the management team, which are, it's good that people show up the management team. We want them to. We want them to say what they want for their neighborhood. And they said, whatever you do, city, don't let it be a dollar store. <laughs> and that fit in with Matt and Emerson. You guys don't like dollar stores. You know, you try to step one downtown for about five years, remember? Although yeah. that worked out pretty well. People kind of live in that neighborhood have told me they want a dollar store. They and, you know, there they are a lot of people. They need lower income merchandise. And, you know, there are a lot of middle class people who like dollar stores, too. I was yeah. just having this conversation with my daughter, who just, and my husband used to love, I, I think it's Dollar Tree that was up in Amity. Shopping, at the, they love those places. So yeah. it's not just poor people. And some people say, it's true, you're right. And some, and not everything's not a dollar. And the problem was that this one, gener- whatever it's called, this isn't Dollar Tree. This one, the franchisee, dollar, right? fam- they do a bad job on Dixwell. They don't keep the property up and this owner doesn't force them to. So you guys did push them and they said they're going to do more work around the parking lot and keep the area nicer and pay someone to. The neighborhood was furious when it was revealed last week at management team meeting that in fact... There's really no zoning leverage you have. Yeah. And Matthew Nemerson was kind of beat up about it. But I just wondered, how do we see the neighborhood in that case? I mean, well, I know you, for a fact people in the surrounding area, because I'm related to one, like really want a dollar store, you know? Well, I think that, I, it, I think you raised a good point about how you see the neighborhood. But the real point is that we already have zoning laws. And that, you know, oftentimes, depending upon the zoning law, there are uses within the law that you might not like anymore. But that's the law. <laughs> There's not a lot you can do about it. And one of the first things that I learned as mayor is that um, it's the biggest trouble that you can get into is trying to have an impact as a mayor or the mayor's office on, on zoning. They will sue you. you. Yes, they will sue you and beat you up. It's against the law. There's also a market <laughs> question, right? So I think that might have been a lesson about the Dollar Tree that's at Church and Chapel. It was very important to your development administrator for years that that not be a dollar store. That's yeah. prime real estate right downtown. There are uh, higher income apartments. But for four years, the owner of that building allowed you guys to not have rented to some dollar store. So you tried to get you know all these upscale retailers, but they just didn't want to go in. The market wasn't right. there. And finally, he had to pay his mortgage. So he brought in Dollar Tree. I think it's been pretty successful, hasn't it? I think it's been successful. People buying milk and you know, he's downtown. always... I, but again, you know, like I go into it sometimes and it's always full of people. And, you know, isn't that what you want? Um, I think that one of the, the success, the part that is a part of success is the fact that 
that we were able to negotiate the ability for at least the owner to put in the contract with the family dollar that they would keep it clean. Yeah. It's also, and, and you know, we've been working on this in New Hallville, and, and that is that we often don't do everything that we can do as a city to make sure that people keep their property clean. We just have one person that does that who's been ill for, um, for a number of months, dropped bricks on her, on her foot. A public space inspector, Honda Smith, who did a wonderful job with uh, Winter Wonderland and does a wonderful job. But she's the only person in the city that does that. She totally uh, broke the toes in her foot. It took months for her to recuperate. So all that time, we couldn't really do that work because she's the only one that does it in the city. So she needs help. And I think that we, and, and maybe um, we need to have a couple more people but if we stayed on top of businesses and owners that are not good, that are dirty, don't keep their property clean, um, they would, I believe, get a new attitude and be better neighbors. So you're saying you want to take more responsibility for this. Rather than I try to we, use zoning, to try to interfere with zoning, you're saying let's just do public space enforcement. I think we've got to do that. We've got to do more and more of that because family dollar is not the only one. And so I, I think that we've got to, support that activity in our city, support Honda and the work that she does, and um, and then hold landlords as well as companies accountable for um, keeping their property up, their neighbors too. You know, Mayor Harper, in her final minutes here, of 2017, boy, what a nice year it's been, a Mayor Monday, as the winds <laughs> outside have sometimes been nice, sometimes a little whipping yeah. hard. It's always yeah. been nice in here. Um, we followed up on something last week we talked about, which was the Chamber of Commerce. 17 years, they had the same president right. from North Haven. They're picking a new president. He's retiring. And they offered the job to an African-American man, Fred Smith. Dr. Fred Smith, he's been around for a long, long, long time and in charge of many business groups, minority supplier council. He's a professor, Yale Economics, PhD. They offered him the job, and they said, you know, we're going to be able to diversify the chamber now because he happens to be African-American. He's also the best candidate. Let's go for it. And uh, he said yes orally. Then he hears back from the headhunter who says there's a little problem. Some people are uncomfortable because you wrote an article on LinkedIn talking about white supremacy. Right. And it never was a problem with the chamber people who supported a white supremacist for president in the primaries last year. But um, that's another question. The <laughs> question is that Fred Smith said, I mean, Fred um, McKinney said, I, I just can't deal with this. You know, I'm not going to spend my time with this life. At this time of my life, I'm not going to go to a place where I'm going to have to explain basics about race to people all the time. I want to be able to do a job and have an impact. So he withdrew. Ratasha Smith, who's a really dynamic 20-something New Havener, works at the Community Foundation, has a, a black chamber commerce group and all this kind of stuff. She wrote a comment in a story you wrote about this saying she hopes he reconsiders. I understand his concerns, but we need to be in these rooms. And although he's greeted with a cold welcome, he was given a seat at the head of the table. While some may not have taken the article he wrote, he is right. White supremacy is the root cause of many of the issues we have today. Uh, we as a collective would have been one step closer to achieving racial equity and economic security in New Haven if he had taken the job, thus fighting directly against the white supremacy he speaks so passionately about. It would be nice to see him take one for the team to not only ensure diversity in the chamber, but inclusivity, which would be mutually beneficial for African Americans. And then uh, Babs Rolls Ivy, who's not as old as Fred McKinney, but closer to Fred's age than um, Ratasha's, who is uh, editor of the Inner City, who's on the Pundit Show on NHA Sickness. She said, Well, you know what? Fred McKinney's taken a lot for the team in 40 years mm -hmm. and that at a certain point this is generational like in other words it's not one versus the other view 
that 20-somethings play a certain kind of role in a community and older folks who have been taking it for the team for 40 years play another. What's your view on this question? I think I agree with uh, with Babs Ross-Ivy. Um, you know, at some point, you just don't want to have to deal with a lot of nonsense in your life. And that you've earned the ability not to have to do that. But you do. Uh, but you're still you're <laughs> still taking them for the team. How does that feel? It's uh, not just being African American; it's about being a woman. Well, you know, I, I, because, and you know, I think a lot of it depends upon how you sort of see what you're supposed to do in this world. And so, I, I believe that that's my job. <laughs> that uh, I was, uh, and and I feel that um, that. that I need to do that, but you know, other people may feel like something else is their job, and that they are doing that. And why take this on too? All right. Well, what Christmas season plans? You can take any time off, God forbid. Um, my daughter's gonna come home, and right. uh, she said, "Mom, will you at least take one day off while I'm at home?" That's all you can take. Is uh, so I'm gonna take a couple of days off. <laughs> all right. You can stay in town, a staycation. Staycation. Charlie Rello promoted those when she was the governor. Staycation, yeah. Connecticut. Absolutely. So you're gonna get a few days off. And then we're not—we're going to take two weeks off on May or Monday because they are holidays, okay. Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. But on New Year's Day, I will see you for your inauguration. Where is that going to be? It's going to be at Career High School. It's always a career high. <laughs> yeah. Great venue, terrible lighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what oh, the well. journalists take on it. But a lot of <laughs> big events have happened there. Yeah. And uh, well, thank you for a great year on May or Monday. I look forward to a great 2018. Thank and you. I hope that you and all our listeners just have a wonderful, well-deserved break and a be already invested and energetic for the next year ahead. And we wish the same for you, Paul. Thank you for what you do on behalf of the city and making sure that people have a voice and a way to influence the city of New Haven. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. That's a nice note to end on. Thank you for joining us on Mayor Monday at WNHH 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Thanks to Birch and Moses PC and Gateway Community College for providing financial support for today's show. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the CD, A Plea for Peace, a feeling we're going to just grow into the year ahead. This is Paul Bass reminding us all that we do know what it feels like to be free. We just have to book our flight. Book your flight and fly free with us all day and night and all year long at WNHH, your home for community radio. (laughs) 